To the uneducated or uninitiated, mixed martial arts might seem like two people agreeing to sacrifice body and brain inside a steel cage, but to those that have the eye and ability to look further, amid the second-by-second calculations and plethora of techniques being exchanged back and forth, there is a canvas that is painted before our very eyes. And of course, each artist who wields their brush holds it differently, with each competitor having their preferences of technique and strategy, strategies that must be be executed to perfection if they have any hope of competing at the highest level. Sometimes, however, game plans don't always go according to the plan, and some performances throughout the years have left us wondering on occasion if there was even one at all. Today's list is dedicated to those competitors who tried and unfortunately failed to execute these strategies, whether they underperformed, were outmaneuvered, or just left us all wondering if they decided not to show up for work that day. It all ended in tragedy. I'm Balian from MMA On Point and here are the 10 most tragically failed game plans in MMA history. Number 10. Justin Gaethje vs Habib Namagamadoff. There are certain fights that you look back on and can't imagine the outcome going any other way, but in the build-up had us fans and theorists running wild with depictions and predictions favoring a number of different outcomes. This is just the case for Habib's title defense against Justin Gaethje. Many people believed Gaethje had the style to beat Khabib, a good defensive wrestler with heavy hands and strong leg kicks, a sound strategy that would systematically chop and break down the Dagestanian eagle. In interviews leading up to the fight, when asked about the formidable takedown and grappling offense of Habib, Gaethje beat up his own wrestling defense, saying that it simply doesn't work on him, stating, no one has ever been able to hold me down and not that much has changed, even revealing that he wasn't training for that scenario on fight night. I'm not great off my back. No wrestler's great off their back because we don't go there. Um, I'm planning and counting on him not being able to get me there. Well, when the cage door finally closed and battle began, it was a different story. Habib secured two of his three takedown attempts with Justin attempting his anti-wrestling on the third, going to his knees and giving up his back. It took Habib just 30 seconds from shooting his double leg to render Justin unconscious on the mat, but I suppose in a way he was right, at least he didn't get held down. Number 9. Michael Bisping vs Dan Henderson Throughout the course of a career, most fighters develop a style or even a particular technique that they are very proficient with, even to the point of notoriety in some cases, and this was most definitely assured by the man who carried the H-bomb tucked in his back pocket, Dan Henderson. Now, if you're not familiar with the H-bomb, it's an affectionate nickname given by fans for the nuclear weapon that is Dan Henderson's right overhand, and he had detonated it on the likes of Vandele Silva, Rio Chonin, Akihiro Gono, and many unfortunate others by the time he met the Count Michael Bisping inside the octagon. Now, at this point, it wasn't as famed as it is these days, but coming off the back of a heated Ultimate Fighter season and squared off in the cage, you can't help but question the strategy of Michael Bisping at UFC 100. Throughout the course of the bout, Henderson stalks the count, and at no point does Michael decide to circle anywhere except into the path of the H-bomb. The count also had a tendency to raise his chin while exiting at this point in his career, and surely must have lost a few chin whiskers with the amount of overhands that flew past it before the final blow was landed. Well, not the final, final blow. Unfortunately for the Count, the loss was indeed tragic, and many questioned his decision to circle into Henderson overhand hell, although they didn't question the follow-up blow, which apparently was super necessary. Number 8. Francis Ngannou vs Stipe Miocic 1 
When you've made an entire career of knocking people unconscious in just a matter of seconds, it can be hard to adjust your game plan to compensate for the level of opponent. Can't it? I honestly don't know, but at least based on what happened between Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic in their first fight, that would seem to be the case. Of course, Francis would go on to claim victory in a surgical dissection of Stipe in their second fight. Their first encounter was something entirely different. From the moment the bell rang, Francis charged at Stipe, intent to knock the crown off the then-champion's head. Despite Stipe's excellent footwork, head movement, and evasion, Francis continued to press forward, throwing 61 strikes in the first round and only landing 15. Fatigued and exhausted after only one round of pure aggression, Francis would go on to land only six strikes over the next four rounds of the entire fight, as Stipe hung on him and used his wrestling to cruise to a somewhat easy win. Francis, of course, learned from this and admitted in the build-up to the rematch at 260 that he was mentally not all there, but Stipe completely outclassed him in the first encounter, making Francis's decision to let me bag, bro, one of the worst strategies of all time. Number 7. Anderson Silva vs Chris Weidman Are we in the Matrix? is a question many have asked as they've turned to their best buds whilst watching Anderson Silva compete at the height of his career. He did so many things we found unbelievable and was so effortless in doing so. But as his career lengthened, so did his antics, along with his age which only contributed to his eventual fall. What had started as playful taunting and a means of deception in his early fights became silly behavior, quote many of his fans who attribute this to the loss of his title against Chris Weidman. Or at least they did at the time when the two met at UFC 162, with Silva coming in as the heavy favorite. As ever, Silva tried to intimidate Wyburn before the fight even started at the weigh-ins, but the All-American was having none of it. This continued into the fight where Wyburn gave Anderson no respect, taking him down almost immediately, and once back on the feet, Silva fought almost the rest of the fight with his hands completely down, giving zero respect to Chris's striking whilst barely throwing any of his own. This wasn't a classic Silva performance though, he was taunting more than usual, had his hands on his hips, called Chris in, allowing him to get dangerously close and even connect with his punches. The more he landed, the more Anderson taunted, and after being cracked with a good lead hook, he dropped his hands and faked being hurt, only to be rendered unconscious seconds later. And okay, I get it, up until this point this had somewhat been Anderson Silva's style, but this time around the game plan failed miserably, and all that Weidman had to do was editor. Punch a hole in his fucking chest. Number 6. Eddie Alvarez vs Conor McGregor on his notorious rise to international superstardom transcending the very sport of MMA, many of Conor McGregor's peers dismissed his actual fighting talents. Quote Eddie Alvarez, I feel like I'm about to tell the whole world that there's no Santa Claus. And when the hard-nosed underground king was set to square off against a notorious one, he intended to prove everyone that was the case, that he simply wasn't as good as everyone said he was, and that he was a much more complete and accomplished mixed martial artist. Alvarez held the UFC 155-pound title at the time after stealing it from the then very dominant champion Rafael dos Anjos, and on paper it looked to be a fairly even matchup, with Eddie calling Connor the easiest dude in the division, citing his wrestling pedigree, experience and toughness, and that Connor was simply not a good fighter who struggles to deal with adversity. However, come fight night it was Connor who made things look easy. From bell to bell, Connor took center stage and octagon, and kept Eddie at the edge of his reach whilst lighting him up with Connor 
combination after combination. Eddie stayed exactly there, right outside of his own range, all while failing to attempt one takedown until it was far too late. It was Eddie who struggled to make changes and deal with the adversity that night, agreeing post-fight that his game plan was to kick and wrestle. Probably should have taken a leaf out of Dustin Poirier's book. My leg is completely dead. Number 5. BJ Penn vs Frankie Edgar 3 Sometimes, due to age or changes in a fighter's physique or mentality, we see them implement new styles, a new stance or even new techniques and game plans to find success. Most of the time, this works in favor of the fighter, and some can even find a career resurgence off the back of these decisions. But sadly, this was not the case for BJ Penn as he suffered the third loss in his trilogy fight with Frankie Edgar at the Ultimate Fighter 19 finale. BJ had clearly struggled with the footwork, movement and takedowns of Frankie in their first two fights and needed to make changes if he hoped to find success in their third. However, these changes did the complete opposite. He adopted a new upright and rigid stance, limiting his offense against the darting Edgar and making him very susceptible to takedowns. He followed him all around the cage, failing to cut angles and to try to corral the fleet-footed Edgar. Without any bend in his knees to sit down on his punches, rendered his otherwise excellent head movement and power useless. He said that his old style now made him too tired, and this new stance had been working for him in camp. Jason Prillo, his longtime coach, wasn't present for said training camp, but stated he would never in a million years develop that new style for BJ. But BJ being BJ gets an idea in his head, and it's very hard to change that. Penn retired after this fight but would come back three years later and continue to lose until 2019, nine years after his last win, and it's sad to see how much he'd changed from the original lightweight king he was. Number 4. Cody Garbrandt vs TJ Dillashaw 2 there are many things that can throw a game plan completely out of the window. Inability to execute a specific technique, changes in your opponent's strategy, or even a mid-fight injury. Another thing that we rarely see cause a fighter to abandon any sense of methodology is their emotions. But unfortunately, however, this was the case with Cody Garbrandt versus TJ Dillashaw, especially in their rematch. In their first fight, Cody was coming off of the back of his championship winning performance against Bantamweight Hall of Famer Dominic Cruz, and despite a heated build up, Cody remained extremely calculated and focused throughout the fight. This, however, was not the case against former teammate TJ Dillashaw in their title bout. After dropping TJ at the end of the first round, Cody came out looking for the kill, but was slept after eating a counter shot from Dillashaw. Garbrandt was determined to prove that it was a lucky punch. TJ feared him, and at the last fight, he was coming off of the couch in their honestly hilarious, entertaining back and forth verbal uh, disputes. However, as Cody put it in a recent interview in their second fight, he was mentally unprepared and physically tried to compensate, as a similar scenario played out in their rematch. By the midway point of the second round, it was clear Cody had made no adjustments since the first fight and found himself once again furiously slinging his ducking right hook over and over until TJ perfectly timed a counter and continued an onslaught that led to the finish. This pattern continued for Garbrandt until recently, and hopefully if he can get back to his old game plans, we might see a trilogy fight with TJ now making a return as well. Number 3. Koji Oishi vs Nick Diaz Want to talk about weird game plans? Well, they don't come much stranger than what Koji Oishi tried to do against Stockton's favorite son Nick Diaz at UFC Indonesia. Diaz, still early in his career, known for his BJJ pedigree and boxing acumen, was squared off against Japanese standout Koji Oishi, who was 11-3 going into the bout with a win over Chris Lytle and was somewhat credentialed. 
What was not credentialed, however, was the strategy that he employed against Diaz. It is rumored under the advice of his coach that he was instructed to punch at the fists of Nick in an effort to break them and prevent him from being able to use his boxing skills. What this actually resulted in, however, was Oishi standing square in front of Nick with his arms wide apart, creating a perfect target for his chin and for the straight punches of Diaz. He was, of course, KO'd in the first round in honestly one of the most bizarre approaches to MMA I've ever seen. He did, however, go on to beat brother Nate in his next fight, so... Go figure. Must have been a hitter, I guess. Number 2. Kat Zingano vs Ronda Rousey At the height of her fame and fighting career, rowdy Ronda Rousey was knocking off contenders left, right and centre in her defence of the women's bantamweight belt. It became harder to believe that any potential challenger had a chance. That was until Kat Zingano arrived on the scene, 9-0, having beaten the likes of Misha Tate, Amanda Nunes, and Raquel Pennington. Many people believed that the tough wrestler brawler had a legitimate shot at Rowdy. She was physically imposing, had great striking, grappling, and a strong clinch game. There were so many paths to victory. If she could formulate the right game plan to strip the belt away from the champ. Unfortunately for Kat, it seemed as if she just had that, an overload of strategy or even emotions in the fight, as from the opening bell she charged at Rousey with a flying knee, missed, fell to the ground and was promptly swept and submitted by the champ. Whatever the game plan was, I'm sure it didn't involve running right into a Rousey armbar within the opening seconds of the bout, and as many had tipped Zingano to potentially be the future of the division, it certainly is one of the more tragic entries on this list. Of course, some will argue that Rousey herself made similar mistakes against home on the night she lost her belt, but you can thank Jackson and Winklejohn for formulating the game plan on that one more than you can blame Rousey. Number 1. Anthony Johnson vs Daniel Cormier 2 a man who went from one of the least cared about fighters on the roster with his continued missed weight encounters went on to steal all of our hearts with his terrifying and concussive performances in his return to the UFC and at light heavyweight Anthony Rumble Johnson. After scoring two straight cold KOs on the way to his first title fight against Cormier and then three more back-to-back -back on the way to the rematch, the strategy was clear for Rumble, especially against DC, one of the best wrestlers to ever grace the UFC's octagon and a man who had already dragged him to the mats and submitted him in the first fight. Keep the distance, look for the knockout. However, this is not what Mr. Rumble Johnson did. Not at all. With the momentum of KOs of Jimmy Manoa, Ryan Bader, and Glover Teixeira, AJ ran into the title rematch and went straight in with a double leg takedown. What the fuck are you doing? The audience, the commentators, fans across the world couldn't believe it. The one sure path to defeat was to wrestle, and that's exactly what he did. Even longtime coach Henry Hoof said, There's only one game plan that you need to do is not wrestle or not come close to DC. And despite my searching the internet, it seems that no one will know why he decided to engage in that strategy that very night, as he's never talked about it publicly. He did say, however, that the day you see me throw an armbar, that's the day I'll probably retire. Well, a double leg isn't an armbar, but the message still remains, and Rumble retired after this particular bout. Will he be back? Who knows? Oh no, wait a minute, he's fighting Yoel Romero in quite possibly one of the most exciting light heavyweight matchups of all time. Please God, don't wrestle in that one. Big shout out and thank you to Max Randall for editing this video. You can follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter.
Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further and I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.